0: join our regularly scheduled program already in progress so um, Whitten said that it th- was mainly this Spirit connected to the McDonald uh, farmstead haunting that seemed to be answering the questions and doing the writing. That, it, that occasionally it seemed like other spirits or uh, personalities like broke through and were uh, communicating as well. Yeah. Um, perhaps uh, most touching of all, he said that he believed that some of the writing was from his little sister who had passed away in 1914. <gasps> And some of the answers that came from that communication were, quote, "...people must realize that those who have passed beyond are ever-present, and spirits do visit the earth after death." The final message that was written in this automatic writing session was, farewell. Hmm. After over two hours of this automatic communication, my great-uncle's hands were laying limp on the table. He was completely drained, and it took some time for him to be able to even stand and move again. He was so weak and completely drained of energy. He said he walked around in in a kind of stupor for some time. He felt that odd feeling in his hand begin to return, and he... Th- was really worried that it hadn't left him, that it was uh, trying to communicate again, so he asked Prince to ask it to leave him, and they tried the writing again as a way to get it out. It seemed to go... But then it came again. He felt that weird sensation in his hand. They tried again to get it to leave. It didn't. Uh, my great-uncle began to really fear that it was not going to leave him. Like,
1: like a possession almost, Like right? a possession, oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That he had let it in, and they, neither of them knew how to make sure that it stayed gone once you had <sighs> invited it in, yeah. right? So, a lot of people say this about Ouija boards, too. No matter what you believe about them, if you are inviting something in you got to be really sure that you have a good plan for how to tell it uh, goodbye. So, uh, they started this without knowing that. So, he really began to feel like it, it was not going to leave him, and he got, began to get quite panicky about it. But mm-hmm. they tried again, and a few minutes later, he said he felt it leave. He knew that it was gone, and he came to his usual self again. And he says, quote, This may all seem incredible to some people, but every word of it is true. Mm-hmm. In this pamphlet that he wrote, he said he only gave the readers the, as he put it, skim of it, as he felt that there were many reasons to keep the rest of it private, including the identity of uh, of the spirit causing all this to happen. Now he kept every single one of those pages that had been automatically written on in his possession with him, like locked away. He was supposed to send them to the Society for Psychical Research in New York, uh, where Dr. Prince was going to file them with his report, but he felt he just felt like he shouldn't do that. And so he didn't. He kept control of them until his death, when his family handed them over to the local Catholic church in St. Andrews, where they were kept uh, locked away in a secret safe until a new bishop took over the area, uh, Bishop Morrison. And when he was shown these writings, he burned them all. Oh, fuck. There are no copies of them anywhere. Any explanation why? He thought they were of the devil.
1: So he burned them.
0: He thought that this communication was evil. And I'm sure there were things in the writing, you know, like that maybe weren't very polite and things like that. Uh, My uncle seems to imply that there was some rather rough language in some of it. So today, the only knowledge we have of what was written in in that session comes from Dr. Prince's report and the pamphlet written by my great-uncle. So
1: it it may have been a case um, where there was like a confluence of spirits. There were some good spirits, maybe some demonic entities.
0: Maybe. It certainly seemed like uh, it was it was more than one thing, person communicating through. And, and, you know, if you talk to some folks who do this sort of experiment today, they often find mm-hmm. that to be the case, too, that once you open the door, if if you're a sensitive, like, um, the spirits can, sen- you know, sense it, and they rush towards you. And so, like, it's, it's a hard thing for, that I've heard people who who claim to be mediums will say, learning how to control that so you you get the voice that you want. And you may have heard, especially around the 1920s, the mediums who were practicing then, whether you you believe in this sort of thing or not, but they they would often use what's called a control, right? So, they would have one spirit who was friendly to them that they would get that spirit to kind of wrangle the ones on the other side and bring them the one that they needed to communicate with. So, Mm. so perhaps, um, you know, my uncle never claimed to be a medium and he never did no. anything like this again. So um, he certainly would not have any idea how to handle it. Do you know what's really it?
2: interesting, and I don't mean to bring up such a sort of pop culture reference, but I'm gonna, because that's what I do. do it's it. funny when you look back at how accurate parts of that movie that we all saw when we were young, Poltergeist, really are. Oh. Like, honestly, how the manifestation begins very simply and playfully, and they're kind of into it, and also the fact that there's this child... And all of these spirits are attracted to this child voraciously because they she's aware of them and they're aware of her and like the, that just resonated with me and yeah. there's a lot about that story that I guess Spielberg kind of got it a bit right. I wonder what he I wonder what he based that on
0: it's not an act. it's not an accident um he did his research and uh, talked uh, to paranormal investigators like Ed and Lorraine Warren now there's someone you could do an episode on I love very controversial them. though so be prepared <laughs> but you know he did his research as Spielberg always does you know so even though it's um just meant to be kind of a scary movie but it also teaches us something about um, these sorts of experiences hmm. Now, for my um, great-uncle Whidden, this, as I mentioned earlier, uh, did seriously affect his health, and I think his mental health as well. He went away to have some time recovering, and I think that's what my grandmother was referring to when she said he was never the same again. He was utterly changed by this experience. He did try, with uh, Dr. Prince, the experiment a few more times. Nothing happened ever happened again he said occasionally when he, they tried he felt that uh, a bit of tingling in his hand like he had but he never again felt that strange same numbness around his heart that he did the day that he got all of that communication and eventually he became he came to feel that he should not try again and he stopped
1: and, and when he was trying again uh, this was not on this on the farmstead this was elsewhere.
0: I think it was, um, I think some of it was on the farmstead uh, a okay. couple of days later. And I think some of it was at the hotel that they stayed on the way back to Halifax. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't um, clarify in the pamphlet, but that's the impression I got from one of the other researchers who uh, did write a book. on Margaret, can I her ask her a you moment. a
2: question? And I really hope I'm not stepping on the narrative going forward, um, but I just have to know because it's driving me nuts and I'm transfixed by this story. They brought a sketch artist. Are there sketches?
0: yes. There are sketches more of it, as kind of like a photographer so you there are some sketches of like you know a little map of the property here's what the house would have looked like oh. um, here's a photo or like a portrait of Mary Ellen kind of thing. I think they just found that the cameras were having trouble working in the cold mm-hmm. damp environment, especially the cameras from those times and so oh, okay, uh, they brought a sketch sense. artist instead. Sure. Yeah. There I haven't found a lot of those sketches actually. I think more people are attracted to the uh, the photographs instead. Well, we're at the end of my my great uncle's pamphlet. He ended it by once again emphasizing that he knew that these things had been caused by spirits. He knew that it was not his own mind or his own imagination that wrote what was on those papers. And he ended his pamphlet by strongly stating, I emphatically warn my readers to try no such experiments. Uh... And I have to tell you that when I read the pamphlet as a young teenager, you know, of course. So, you know, getting uh, creeped out and kind of spooked by the whole thing, and then reading his uh, strongly worded statement at the end of saying, "We didn't know what we were getting into. I almost got stuck with this thing inside me. I emphatically warn you not to try it. It actually kept me from delving deeper into the paranormal for wow. a long time. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I took his. I took his." Wording seriously, but eventually I just became too fascinated not to not to look more into the uh, the world that he had seen a glimpse of. So, do you want to get down with some theories as to <laughs> what caused? Mm-hmm. So, at the time, the newspaper sponsored a two hundred dollar cash prize, which was being put up by Detective Carroll and. Harold Whitten themselves, for anyone who could solve the mystery better than they had or prove that the events were not supernatural in origin. No one ever won the prize, though many hundreds of people wrote in with their personal theories. You can imagine there's everything from vampires to goblins to actually cool scientific explanations or possible scientific explanations, like something to do with electricity, which, remember, was new, especially in the rural areas at the time. What they didn't know is that the McDonald's didn't have any electricity. Um, Radios, again, were Mm -hmm. new. They were talking about the signals in the air causing these fires. They also, some people suggested it might be methane gas uh, from the nearby coal mines that caused this. And, of course, aliens. It's always
2: aliens, right? They're always there lurking in the
1: background.
0: They didn't really call them that at the time, but uh, they did say otherworldly entities. It was entities. the 5G
1: conspiracy of its time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Electricity in the air.
2: Electricity and the mercury. I wonder if anybody um, put forward the notion that it could be they the. I know in the French culture they call them the foufoulet but uh, the will of the wisp, um, the mischievous, and some people believe. Yeah, well, some people believe that they the foufoulet are, are souls that are sent back. And trapped. Oh, and yeah. I wonder if anybody thought about those. Because when you were describing the flames, I thought, oh, this sounds like my French Canadian side talking about les follet." But, um, hmm.
0: You know, I wouldn't be surprised because there's, uh, you know, there's a bunch of Acadian French down there as well. So probably somebody thought of it. Whether they wrote it into the newspaper, yeah. I don't know. But nobody ever won the prize. So we have to discount all okay. of those theories. So, here's another theory that was uh, put forward by many a neighbor and many a a nosy person who didn't know them at all. They said it was the family themselves Mm -hmm. doing it for publicity or because they didn't want to be farmers anymore or something, but it makes absolutely no no sense. Why would they do this to themselves, destroy their home, their reputations, and abandon their property and their farm, you know, In the middle of a freezing cold winter, it just makes no sense whatsoever. They didn't gain anything from it.
1: None of their actions reek of looking for publicity. Nothing they did afterwards. No. They ran from this story.
0: Yeah. Like, they only allowed my great-uncle Witten to interview them, as well as Prince and Carol were allowed to interview them, but they never gave interviews to other newspapers or anything like that.
1: And wasn't that part, like, partly getting your your uncle in, was to try to clear their name, to say... We, we We have nothing to do with this.
0: he said very quickly very quickly upon meeting them and seeing the property on his very first visit so before he'd had anything paranormal happen at all he became convinced they were completely innocent of it they right. had nothing to do with it and that's why he couldn't get his mind off it because he's like well if they didn't do it then what did it you know
1: yeah and peachy Carroll had the same peachy Carroll again too. a great reader of people he felt that they were completely innocent of any wrongdoing just yes. no trail of breadcrumbs to follow here
2: they didn't like you said they weren't interviewed extensively there was no book published they did didn't open up the farm no. to visitors for a price. They didn't there was they didn't seek in any way any profit or notoriety from the experience, right?
0: Exactly. No, in fact, they only suffered because of it and the publicity around it. So we have to get mm-hmm. rid of that theory. Mm-hmm. Another theory is that it was the neighbors. That it was some of the neighbors. There's a couple of names put forward. This is a favorite theory. Of there, there are only really two books about this, and one of them is called "Fire Spook: The Mysterious Nova Scotia Haunting" by Monica Graham. And Dan, I think is this, this is the one you mentioned to me that you have. Um, she puts forward that it was probably a neighbor. But I was I was kind of confused when I'm reading her theory because I'm like I don't understand how a neighbor can have done all of the things. Is it possible that some sort of neighbour was playing some kind of trick and releasing the cattle? I suppose. But what kind of farming neighbour is going to have time to just sit around every day instead of doing their own chores and release all the cattle just to make Alexander think he's going crazy? And nobody knows about it for years. And what is the motivation?
2: Is the motivation so they could chase them away from their land and get it cheap? Well, you know,
0: they never did. The land just ended up sitting abandoned. So. In fact,
1: they did chase them. This, These things did chase them off the land and no one stepped forward to, I'll buy that off of you. So no one that it. doesn't make sense. No. Uh, and from what I understand, they were people in good standing in their community. And the McGillivries came to help them, right?
0: The McGillivries came to help them, yeah. So they were their nearest neighbors. So it certainly wasn't them. But that is the theory that is the favorite theory of, uh, of that one author. The other theory put forward by my great-uncle is that it was actually spirits. (laughs) That spirits are responsible for all of those things. And he emphatically stated that that was his firm belief. And that even though he knew people were going to make fun of him and question his sanity, he just could not deny the experience that he had had. Adding to this was that Dr. Prince also felt that it was some sort of paranormal involvement. Mm -hmm. His theory put forward in his official report was that someone in the house was in an abnormal psychic state and was used by the spirits to set the fires and free the cattle. His chief suspect was the teenage girl, Mary Ellen. He said, in other words, that she, or we would say today, that in other words, she was the conduit for the poltergeist. Uh, He said... If this is so though she is not responsible for it because she was taken control of by the spirits and her her body was used to mm-hmm. make the little cotton things and somehow soak them and somehow light them from being nowhere near them and right. yeah. you know <laughs> so he said if it is that there's human involvement that's the only kind of human involvement he could imagine but he also more leans toward what uh, Whitten said was that it just literally was some sort of paranormal entity.
1: Peachy Carroll take offense to what Prince sort of published because he he felt that was he saw no evidence that, yes. that they, they were they were started by human hands.
0: No, because they couldn't find an accelerant. Uh, So, of course, because of the colour of the flames and the fact that it burned cold, immediately uh, anyone with a scientific mind is looking for the accelerant that would burn like that, Um, and that would burn on its own without a starter, you know, because of these little pieces of cotton that were found here and there. But something that poltergeists are famous for is something called a port, which is that things will appear from somewhere else completely, Mm. even thousands of miles away. Way from where it appears and so some people think that's how those little pieces of cotton but carol found and remember he went in very skeptical expecting to find a human answer right um so he looked for everything human he could find and found nothing wasn't
1: well, that interesting they're they're polar opposite backgrounds and they almost yeah om- they om- come almost. together yeah. yeah yeah
0: except that carol was extremely angry at prince's published report because it named you know it I don't think it names Mary Ellen, but it's very clear that's who he's talking about. And because of that, she spent the rest of her life suffering by people who ignorantly made fun of her. Uh, At one point, she even ends up in, uh, you know, what they called at the time, insane asylums um, Mm -hmm. because of it. Um, Not because she had been a conduit for spirits, but because of the human people around her who make her life a living hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway.
1: Well, teased, ridiculed, attacked. Yes. uh, And
0: even whole, you know, rhymes and limericks and uh, folk songs and People throwing rocks at her and stuff like that, yeah. She had to move away. Um,
2: So, Mary Ellen, did anything pursue her in any way? Did anything... Did she carry anything with her ever? Did she ever manifest any other kind of um, phenomenon?
0: Yes. So, they tried moving back to the farm in May of 1922. Just to to put in the crops to try to make enough food to eat, you know but they couldn't stay because it's, at first it seemed fine, but before long, the fire started up again. And so that was when they completely abandoned the house and the farmland. And to this day, it is utterly abandoned. Now there is no trace of the house anymore. For a long time, the building stood and then little by little, it uh, eroded away and now there's nothing there's just completely overgrown with forest from what i've been told so yes and then somewhere else that they lived uh there seemed to be a bit of activity for a while and then oh, it stopped okay. but before we get um too deep down that hole let's get back to the two Amen. last theories a poltergeist conduit for a poltergeist maybe mary ellen another one of course was demons That it was demons who descended on the house because of that Gaelic curse that was put on the family by Andrew MacDonald, who was kicked out of the house in 1903. But I find that a little bit hard to believe, because why would that spirit have waited like 21 years? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it did
1: sleep in on a Monday and a Tuesday. So maybe it just was a lazy... it's like uh, getting an electrician during the pandemic. Maybe there's just a queue.
2: You know, maybe there's, yeah, there's this manifestation <laughs> list and you're like, I'll take number 20. I'll take 21. And. <laughs> okay.
1: I'll, 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 I'm up for that one. I believe that. It is interesting, though. It is interesting that his curse sort of did come to fruition. Came to pass. Mm-hmm, right? It's the
0: power of yeah. a good Gaelic curse.
1: Right. I mean, it is a bit odd that it took so long for it to pass.
0: But it did. But it did. It was a worse stormy night than the one he was kicked it out sure on. So was. that's why it's my second last um, theory that I put. The last theory, and some say this is why Prince and Witten never revealed the name and the reason why, was that it's actually the perturbed spirit of Janet's mother, uh, Mary. Yeah. Remember? Who was cursed by Janet the night before she died. Mm -hmm. I hope you were dragged to hell. Mm -hmm. In the community, after her death, it was rumored that Janet smothered her mother to death that night as the only escape from living with her deranged mother. Mm. The cause of Janet's death in 1930, only eight years later, was burns. What? She died of burns. And this theory is the favorite by the author of the other and earlier book that was written about it, The Fire Spook of Caledonia Mills by the author N. Carol McIntyre, who's related to Detective Carol. So, he firmly states that he believes that uh, Janet killed her mother. It certainly was a rumour, In that very small community at the time, that perhaps she had helped her mother along, and that this was the information that was given by the spirit through the automatic writing, saying, like, Janet killed me, da-da-da, and that the guys were like, well, we have no evidence... We've only got this spirit that will never stand up in court. We don't want to drag this woman through the dirt when we don't even know what we're dealing with here, and so that's why they refuse to ever say.
1: One of the things that I remember reading about Peachy Carroll is he had a way of getting information out of you without you realizing. Yes. He was getting in, you were you were giving him stuff, so he would be talking about something that didn't seem at all connected to what he was actually trying to dry. And um, you wonder that Like Columbo. If, like, <laughs> like Columbo. Oh, poor... Or Jessica Fletcher. Or Jessica, Jessica Fletcher, Fletcher. Fletcher. Yes. She yes. was... Or, or Magnum P.I. No, but it... it, it it did, i wonder if the time that he spent there if he sort of also glean, you know picked up on that cuz he interviewed a lot of people in the community as well right he, he didn't just spend yep. time with so he might have been aware of that as
0: he well. would have been yeah and yet he never pursued it either i mean i suppose some people at the time would be like well poor woman you know and they wouldn't want her punished for it but yeah. who knows again there is no evidence for this but it's it's a strong I theory i
2: love that theory if i was going to make yes. a film that's that's the with first a five minutes. With black dog and
0: everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's ab- and the idea of her killing her mother that way just to just to free herself because that's you know that's yeah. a lot to deal with. I love it's just so yeah. cinematic. I just I want to I, I want to make a show right now based on that. It's such a good theory because it's it's. I, li- I
0: like it's- the theory because it is such a strong story component, uh, <laughs> and it explains and it honestly it explains why Prince and Witten never revealed what they learned because it affected a real living person who may well have been innocent and they didn't want to drag her name by saying, this spirit told us you were guilty, you know. I mean, we've seen what happens when that kind of thing goes forward. We need to make this into a movie, you guys. We should.
2: Yeah, we should call James Wan and all those folks over there at Blum, Blum
0: Blumhouse. So perhaps when it comes to the theories, we'll let my great uncle have the last word saying, you know, that he thought it was spirits. I give my own explanation Knowing that it will sound monstrous and incredible to some, just because I cannot account for the facts otherwise. Can anyone else do so? And that's the end of the story, The Fire Spook of Caledonia Mills.
1: What I find so compelling about this story is that it doesn't there doesn't seem to be any dispute that what happened happened.
0: No. There were so many witnesses and the impeccable nature of the people who investigated it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know about the curse? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, for a long time, and something that I was told when I was a kid was that there was a curse on the whole property, which is why none of the locals would take it after they abandoned oh. it. Because everyone just, well, you know, it's part of their society but <laughs> that um, it's cursed nobody goes there, nobody lives there. And that's why, you know, the only people who went were were thrill seekers. And that continued up until the house and the foundations were completely gone. There's still people today who Mm -hmm. will ask the locals for which gate do you go through and, and just to see. But the story was not to take anything from the property. Don't take a stone, don't take a bit of china, don't take anything, because you will bring the curse home with you. And there's a really excellent story. In that first uh, book that was written about it, The Fire Spook of Caledonia Mills by N. Carol McIntyre, uh, who wrote it in the 80s, he tells a story of while he was researching the book, he couldn't help himself. He went to the property with a friend and, you know, touring the site, they kind of decided to kick around in the dirt a little and see what they could find. And he happened to find this perfectly intact China egg cup, so he took it, in spite of knowing this curse, and he took it to his summer farmhouse. A few weeks later, he had a dinner party there, and of course he put this egg cup uh, prominently on this little shelf where people would ask about it. And then he told his research and the story of the fire spook and talking about Mary Ellen as well. And then they, very late that night, there was some debate over, would some of them stay over? And he said, no, no, no. It, you know, it's, it's turning cold. We'll catch our death, he said. And they, they all left. He returned two mornings later at 6.30 in the morning. There was nothing left standing of the house <gasps> except the chimney piece. It had all completely burned to the ground and it
2: burned yes. oh <laughs> oh my, <laughs> my god. god
0: I'd like to tell you that there sitting on the mantelpiece yeah. was the china teacup <laughs> yeah. but that does not appear to have been the case oh but in any god. case this whole summer house uh, burned to the ground
1: can I go on uh, just add so when you said Janet burned to death I- in yeah. a house fire
0: you know uh, I do not have the details that okay. I found that in the uh, McIntyre book he said she died of burns
1: jeez Louise yeah so I have a uh, Margo, uh, uh, one of my neighbors, this is how I learned of the story before you, you brought it to us. I have a neighbor from Antigonish and he went home this summer and he's familiar with the, the podcast because I've coerced him into listening to it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And um, like he was saying he believes it. He's he's ter- he, They were raised to be terrified of that property to go nowhere near it ever. Right.
0: Yeah. My family too.
1: Yeah. And he said his parents were adamant. You do, do not, do not go there. Don't try. Like, it. this is serious. We're not kidding. This is real. You do not go anywhere near that place. Hmm. He says it still gives him the chills when he thinks about it. So that the lore of this place, and he had mentioned that about you weren't to go there or take anything away. That it yes. was a very uh, Unlucky dangerous place. place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, same thing. Uh, We were also told by, you know, by our relatives. Uh, My family is from Antigonish, so the town that the county is also named for. So very close by. And also we're told, you know, my my brother and I would be like, we want to go there. And they'd be like, you don't go there. You do not go there. You don't, So, same thing. It's just, mm-hmm. don't go there. And, you know, so that's why for a long time I thought, oh, the paranormal is, like, really dangerous and scary. Like, do not look into it. But turns out, once you do start looking into it, it it's still scary. Not as dangerous, but also more fascinating than anything, I think.
1: Well, I think it's beautiful. Like You probably have heard Riley and I talk about it because if there is evidence out there that there is an afterlife, you know, I mean, like a lot of people, you worry about death and about Mm -hmm. the finality of that. Um, Wouldn't that be incredible if we knew for certain that uh, things do go on, you know?
0: Yeah, it's lovely the messages he felt he got from his little sister who who assured him that the spirits do visit the earth after their death and that they do continue on. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's nice to... It's nice to think that might be true.
1: And and I guess in that way, right? To, to be able to see those we've lost again, uh, how special that would be, you know. And I think of as a, as a father to think that, no, you know, when I pass, I'll still be able to one day again be with and see my children and
0: mm-hmm. my grandchildren
1: or whatever. I think that's a really uh, uh, beautiful thing to hope for.
0: Yes. And I mean, the, you know, the There's no real harm in believing it if it brings you comfort in your life. And after death, if it's not true, well, you probably won't know it's not true, will you? So you might as well hold on to what gives you comfort in this life, I say.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. As long as you're still uh, mindful and live this life, don't wait for the next.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's the the most most important important thing. Because what, what we do know is that we're alive right now. We have this life. We are with those people that we love right now, hopefully. And Mm -hmm. it's like, take advantage of that while you have it. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know. No one knows. All of these parapsychologists for hundreds of years now doing their experiments and investigations, and we still don't know.
1: One thing um, with Mary Ellen, she actually went on to a pretty interesting life afterwards, and sort of as a, a helper of the downtrodden, did she not?
0: Yeah, she, uh, you know, um, I don't remember all the details, but she did. She did live a pretty good life after after she moved completely away from the area. She got out of her treatment in the mental health center and and went on to to run a boarding house where right. she took chances on people that other people wouldn't, and uh, she was. Really loved in her, in that community, was known to be very generous of spirit and Uh heart. And she had a different name by then, so not many people knew that she was the Mary Ellen who was connected to the the fire spook. And um, she just tried to keep that completely silent. Very rarely ever giving interviews over the years and and that sort of thing. So Margot is...
2: um... Because I go to Nova Scotia mm-hmm. almost every year because my father mm-hmm. lives there. And I was wondering, is there a museum about this? No. There's nothing, eh? So I, I've got to go visit the property. I'm totally going to go. And I'm going to bring you an a
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Just so you know, it is completely private property. So if you do decide to try to track it down, please make sure that you have permission, which is pretty hard to get from the uh, people who now own the area.
2: Who own it? Do, do, do you know? So
0: that's some research you're going to have to do. Interesting.
2: But the, but the land has not been developed.
1: It's, it's
0: Margo's right. Regrown. It's
1: regrown. Yeah. It's regrown. It's a forest.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Eh? I mean, locals still will know, like, if you go down this road and go through this gate. I did see one blog post where some folks thought for sure that they had found the right place. And then they put a disclaimer at the top of it years later saying, uh, so we recently learned that we were not in the right place. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought okay. it was honorable of them to, yeah, to yeah, do that. That's right.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, um, you know, something that's interesting just for that you may want to know because of future episodes we won't go on too long about it, but just for you to know that there actually is a huge phenomenon in Canada from around the mid-1800s to the mid-1930s of these types of cases. There's specifically another fire spook that uh, was in Baldoon, Ontario. But in terms of poltergeists on farms and places, you have like the Dag family poltergeist and the Amherst mystery, the Baldoon fire spook, and at least a dozen more. What was going on during that time? We don't know. But I read one article a while back that was thinking about how it seemed like whatever it was jumped from place to place to place to place to place. To place.
1: Oh. And then it just oh. stopped.
0: So, there's your alien theory for you. Oh. <laughs> because some people will be like, well, something was here and now it's gone. Where did it go? Where did it mm. come from? But it also could just be because, as you were mentioning earlier, Riley, like a lot of people were really into the um, spiritualism at that time, and were doing seances and looking into these mysteries and that sort of thing. So, maybe just the the kind of zeitgeist was there for these yeah. things to be welcome, or to to manifest, or to be noticed when they did manifest, or to be fed energy once they started, you know? But yeah, it's this really yeah. bizarre thing that I, I mean one day to look more into is to track like where were all these poltergeists and these fire spooks and so on happening throughout canada
2: you can do that thing where you do a map with the pins oh, and the I've yarn
0: always wanted to do i've one. always wanted to i know can we do it in your new basement <laughs> mm. yay absolutely
2: <laughs> absolutely you know my new basement part of the wall is clad in 150 year old oh, barn that would board, be perfect so there's all that
1: energy yeah. there anyway right yeah.
2: Fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard that before about the um, sort of spree of hauntings. Or, mm-hmm. or you know. I do wonder too, like you said, if people were more in tune and aware, I know obviously there was a lot of scams going on. Oh, for sure. The, right. Yeah. The ectoplasm and right. But people were more in tune and more willing to accept that uh, these things were possible you know mm-hmm. and now we're just so skeptical of everything
0: are we though Dan are we think of how many ghost hunting shows and I know you you kind of revile them for good reason they're they're not all created equal I can tell you that but A lot of them are very entertaining, and that's mostly what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. Think of Mm -hmm. how many ghost shows over the last 20 years on television, how many YouTube channels are devoted to it, and now TikTok as well. How many paranormal investigation groups are out there who spend like every weekend out trying to get activity? It's like, to my mind, the um, ghost hunters of today, and I use that term not for the THE ghost hunters, but in general, <laughs> ghost hunters today are the spiritualists sitting around in parlours using, you know, a bell or a table to yeah. ectoplasm to try to communicate with the dead. People out in these buildings with their uh, temperature monitors and their EVP uh, recording sessions and all this great equipment that people are are using, it's hand in hand. I mean, one thing that never changes is human nature. and as you were suggesting earlier, I think the one thing we all feel a little bit unsure about is what happens after we die or what happens after our loved ones die. And the one thing that we all want some sort of hope for is survival after death. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't think that I think it just it comes out differently now because now we try using technology. We sit around in in dark rooms asking questions into a tape recorder, whereas they used to sit around in dark rooms asking the trumpet to sound if the spirit was nearby. It yeah. hasn't changed fundamentally at all.
2: I remember mm. one time I in university I had attended a lecture about this very mm. topic, and one of the th- one of the th- things that the lecturer talked about was death and the fact that we cannot as human beings wrap our heads around it we're incapable of really accepting the inevitability of not existing we're not like our consciousness does not have the capacity to actually accept it so i think that as human beings and i know myself personally we're always looking for the continuation, the the next phase. We just we just can't. I know I can't. I can't imagine a world that I'm not well, in. No, you know because everything the subjective. ego gets
0: in the way of that. We can't imagine our yeah. personality ending. Although you know the one thing we know for sure is that energy cannot die. Energy does not disappear. So the one thing I can guarantee mm-hmm. you is that after you die, the energy that is now buzzing around in your body is going to out and become one with the other energy but does anything of your personality survive is really the question
1: i love that by the way and that's where i've you know you we were raised catholic weren't you too no Marco? no Protestant. no
0: I, I i was raised in a <laughs> oh oh yes we won't talk about it here because that's
1: um no no but I, I as an adult have become increasingly more swept up in late enlightenment because uh, that movement's still happening, right the Yes the, what the early 1400s when that really started to take unfold, it's still happening now and I feel like I've even been swept up in it where I'm it, I'm looking for scientific answers. But what I find fascinating about that is when science and the spiritual start to, combine and meld and you can find even scientific like you were. I love because I've thought about that before we know energy doesn't die so you're transforming into something yes whether you become one with the cosmos or you are you know transported to another dimension or even the concept of time and that time isn't necessarily even real
0: yes or time as we have been trained to perceive it is not real
1: correct it's an illusion Right. Mm -hmm. And it's it's uh, that we never really die because we 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 always exist. You know, Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's neat stuff.
0: Well, quantum mechanics itself is, uh, you know, (laughs) will probably one day most of what we now think of as supernatural or paranormal will find some sort of response through through the ever growing field of quantum mechanics.
1: Right. Which is spooky
0: spooky spooky they actually use the term spooky um for some of the activity that happens at a quantum level that they cannot yet explain they just know that it happens
1: if it didn't intimidate me so much i would actually and maybe one day i'd love to do an episode on science and the weird you know like yeah the weird phenomena that that Mm -hmm. we scientists know but can't explain
0: it is intimidating i listened to uh the Society for Psychical Research, some of the top scientific brains in the world. And sometimes I can follow what they're saying. And sometimes, uh, for me, the research that I do is mostly about the personal experience. That's what yeah. I love, is, uh, is how mm-hmm. do we experience the paranormal? I'm not so interested in the laboratory science behind it, but I, but I do love to hear about the work other people are doing.
1: Can I ask you, I know we were going long here. This has been wonderful.
0: Oh, it's way off topic now.
1: <laughs> oh, this is wonderful though. The The book is Spook, Mary yes, Roach. That's Mary
0: Roach, yeah. Uh,
1: and she mentions it's one of the last chapters because she debunks a lot of the things as she's going along, right? She's very but,
0: grumpy about it, I think, but it's kind of funny when you read the book too. <laughs> but the
1: last, I think it's the last chapter, she talks about an experiment that I believe was at Harvard University where they were trying to def- – oh, you've got it right there – where they're definitively trying to prove that people were having out-of-body experiences. Right. She um, interviews this doctor who's in charge of this experiment. In the case, Riley, I don't know if you're familiar with this or a good reader, but uh, there was a patient who had an out-of-body experience. He died on the table. And he saw himself rising up off the, you know, he could see himself on the operating table and everyone sort of scouring around him. And then eventually he saw himself above the hospital. Eventually he came back. But the thing that he saw that just stood out to him was a lone red shoe at the corner of the hospital on the roof.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And when <sighs> he came back, he, you know, he eventually told someone or the doctor what he had seen and what he'd experienced. And that doctor went to the roof and sure enough, there was a red shoe there and this is a person who who you know i, I think it was uh an emergency it wasn't like uh they had been yes. there for months you know dying yes, you couldn't
0: see it from any windows it was on the roof yeah
1: so he had an experiment where he mm-hmm. put a laptop up at the top of the operating room with the screen facing the ceiling with random images being displayed that no one in the operating room would know what they were and, and but if someone was able to say i saw this then they could go back and look and see what the, to match the image with. Do you know if anything ever came of that?
0: I don't, I haven't heard anything back about that. Although the random image generators and random number generators are are now standard equipment and, or experiments uh, in the parapsychology labs. So because we do have computers now, there's less of the human interference. They do think sometimes perhaps when they've done experiments, if the the experimenter knows what picture they're showing, then how do you know that the person is seeing the picture and not just reading it from the uh, experimenter's mind? To me, it's like fascinating either way, but they want to know which it is. So, they keep refining the experiments down and refining, 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 so that there's there's no chance. But now they worry that even with computers, who's to say that you that you are not going to influence the computer right. to give the answer that you want to give or the answer that you gave. Oh, but... Okay, guys. Like, here's something that's <laughs> um, that's kind of like cutting-edge uh, parapsychology experimentation stuff right now is something that they are having a lot of success with Our experiments where we respond before something happens. So... Um. Suppose that you're doing an experiment, uh, and I believe this is being done in Italy, where you're on a computer and it's one of those driving simulation things. So there's two possibilities. You're, You're driving along in a car down a little sunny highway and everything's fine. And this just plays on a loop. But every once in a while, instead of that, the car crashes and turns over and there's this horrible crash. And what they've found with monitoring the brainwaves and the pulse and the heart rate and so on of the people is that a, to a, to what they call statistically significant number of people respond to the crash before it happens.
1: Is that precognition?
0: It's precognition. That's right. So now they're beginning to think that it's, it's not so spooky, after all, that it is just something that's still sitting in here in our animal DNA from the days where we had to be aware if there was going to be danger around the bend, you know, like is this saber-toothed mm-hmm. tiger, <laughs> you know, not. But <laughs> I suppose sitting there waiting to jump out at yeah. you quietly, that something in you mm-hmm. reacts before it happens.
1: I don't know. <laughs> that, uh, sure, that's an uh, interesting sixth sense, like literal sixth sense that we've lost a little bit. Yeah. But still, how... Like, they're not actually in a car. No. I don't... That's... So
0: the other possibility is that the human consciousness is tapping into the random selection process within the computer that is choosing when to play the crash video and finds out that it's about to play the moment before it plays. (laughs) Either way, it's weird and strange.
2: Wow. (laughs) And we might have some spiritual awareness of what's to come. And maybe we do. You know, maybe we spiritually, maybe spiritually we extend beyond this moment. Well, and if time is an illusion anyway. Mm. i got to tell you both something. Um, I'm doing an episode coming up that I've started to research, but because it's a piecemeal episode, it's taking me a bit longer than usual. And what it's about is people, uh, psychics who are very well known for investigating crime. And when I first started to get into this, I was like, what's well, going to be, you know, the girl with the woman with the big blonde hair and the huge nails and she's going to show up with her cat. <laughs> and it isn't really that at all. But some of the things that these people have accomplished as paranormal investigators that work with law enforcement are unfucking explainable. There is no there cannot be coincidence involved in what some of these investigators have helped the police uncover. that's cool it's actually quite I mean yeah
0: and you know for it the hard part is that for as many of the stories that are like that that give you chills that are unexplainable that really did help there are you know sadly a dozen of people um you know, playing the cops for fools or not even purposefully, right. um, just not getting it right.
2: It's the, it's that blonde woman she with the big She is definitely nails. <laughs> one of them.
0: Yes. Um, or was, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I do find it all very fascinating and mm. yeah. How can you not be fascinated? I guess. Um, from the ghost club, I will tell you that the report, <laughs> that the one thing that they know from all of their ghost investigations, um, the, the basically the only thing they know and have been able to prove so far is that you know how you will often hear that the ghost hunters or or even the you know the the proper investigators as well as the uh, TV entertainment ones they all they all use the same thing of like okay I'm gonna knock and you knock back or mm-hmm. you, the spirit will rap. so the only thing they know from experimenting with those recordings and live at the time that it's happening as well, is that there is a completely different sound wave signature for the ones that the investigator does and the ones that are done by the spirits. What it means? No one knows. (laughs) But that's that's kind of the only thing that they have uh, to report. Hmm. Interesting. I think we need we to should. wrap up, We We'll talk guys. forever if we don't. <laughs> thank you so much.
2: Well, I think this begs us to um, say you got to come back. Oh, I'd girl. love
0: to anytime. I love chatting with you.
2: Please do. Um, we would love, love, love that. I've got to say, thank you for such an intimate story. You really took us there, and um, I'm glad of it. I'm very glad of it. It was a. It was. A, I was. I was just transfixed for oh, quite a bit. Thank you of so
1: much. Dan, I would like to thank you as well, and I think it's such a great story. But especially with your personal connection to it, and uh, mm-hmm. that was a really neat uh, perspective that you brought. So thanks so much, Margot, for for coming on to the weird. We really appreciate it. And Dan, that. we have got to make sure that when we go to Trans-Allegheny,
2: Margot. Oh my come
0: gosh, up. I would love to go investigate anywhere with you anytime so just let me know
2: okay done I'm double that i'm
0: ready to travel yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> i would love that well i know dan's hell bent on seeing robert the doll okay i, would I know like that <laughs> okay. I really would. we can do that yeah i would love that i would, i had no idea and i'm so fascinated now and i think we need to have more conversations and i think our listeners would love these conversations well I thank hope. you
0: i'm happy to come back anytime you'll have me Thanks, Margo. Okay.
2: Well, Dan,
1: yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Weird. Uh, if you enjoy what you're listening to, please feel free to uh, share the word of the weird with your friends, families. If you have a talented pet that knows how to download podcasts, tell that pet as well. Uh, and we don't care any kind of pet, uh, if it's a reptile or a mammal, whatever. Let it listen. Riley, anything you want to add before we we go away? No, just
2: my usual banter. Thank you so very much for joining us on this journey. And uh, thanks again to our guest for these past two episodes. It was such a beautiful conversation and such a organic conversation that just evolved naturally that we just talked for two hours. And so it's a double episode because a two, two hours is a long time for to listen to a podcast, especially when you're my age. I have to pee a lot, so I can't, I just can't commit to that. <laughs> so Margot thank you for bringing this to our door. Um, it is a welcome gift indeed. Uh, and we hope to have you back soon. Thanks
0: so much. I just can't wait for the t-shirts.
2: Oh, they're coming. Okay, good, good night, night everybody.
0: everybody. Good night. Good night ladies. Farewell gentlemen. Sweet dreams everyone. We're going to leave you now. <laughs>